hey, uh, about nine years ago, I sat in a restaurant eating eggs and bacon as I watched my dream job just kind of slip through my fingers. Uh, I had applied for this associate pastor position in this, this growing church, it was a newish church, uh, in this kind of like dream location, and uh, the, guy, the, the pastor that I, I had been working with was a guy named Mike. He, this guy loved Jesus, had lots of vision. He had lots of vision for his town, for the church. And on top of that, he rode a Harley and was, loved barefoot water skiing. I thought, this is the, 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 the church for me. And to top it all off, this church was in a town, a city called Kelowna. So for a guy that had grown up in BC, Kelowna is kind of like the dream location. And if you haven't heard of Kelowna, it's kind of like a combination of... Uh, Palm Springs and Lake Chelan kind of all rolled up together. It's, it's got lots of stuff to do, really hot summers, surrounded by this beautiful lake with rolling hills full of vineyards and, and orchards, just a gorgeous spot. And I was in Kelowna on my third visit to this church, and it was looking like this position was just going to, it was locking in, it was, look, it was looking like a done deal. But that morning, sitting across the table from Mike, he confronted me with an issue that has plagued me most of my life. Mike had given me just two jobs to do that weekend. He told me, okay, I want you, we're going to fly you down, and you're going to be leading the worship, and you're going to preach a sermon with PowerPoint. Two simple things to do. It was going to be kind of a one-man show that morning. And uh, I knew what I needed to do to be ready, but instead of disciplining myself to do it, I decided to just slack off instead. I decided that I didn't really need to rehearse and kind of go over things for the worship service because I'd done this hundreds of times. And, and since I had a lot more pressing, more interesting things vying for my attention, I decided I was going to recycle an old sermon and, and just read through it a couple times to prepare. And, and since my PowerPoint was giving me issues, I just decided, eh, we'll just scrap the PowerPoint without telling Mike that I was going to be scrapping the PowerPoint. And when the day arrived to rehearse with the band, my, this, my total lack of preparation was obvious. I was missing sheet music. Uh, this was a band that I'd never worked with before. They needed way more direction than I was used to, to giving, and I just didn't really have a clue how to answer a lot of their questions. And, and you'd never guess who was drumming. It was Mike, the pastor, who was drumming. And he had a front row seat to this disastrous rehearsal. And as we sat down to breakfast the next day, Mike called me out. He confronted me on this lack of discipline. I had very little self-control, and it had become this huge blind spot in my life. And although I didn't know it or appreciate it at the time, Mike's confronting me was a gift sent by God to speak some very much-needed truth into my life. And I can confidently say to you this morning that I would not be standing here today had it not been for that very uncomfortable confrontation with this guy, Mike. And I can also confidently say to you today that self-control remains one of my personal greatest struggles. It's a little confession time this morning. Um, eating out is not in the budget right now. This last week, I ate out three times. Um, most places I do sermon prep have internet access. Rather than sit down and just plow through a sermon for, for the, the, the hours, I easily get distracted by things like Facebook, the news, and, and videos of ladies wearing Chewbacca masks, all that kind of stuff. Easily distracted. This last Tuesday, my diet consisted of a bowl of raisin bran in the morning, so it started off pretty healthy, followed by M&Ms and Red Vines licorice for a snack. Um, for lunch was chili and a Coke with a potato piled high with butter and sour cream, 
and I didn't have time for dinner, so all I had was a donut and an Edeline ice cream cone for dinner. That's it. All healthy food choices, which demonstrate my amazing self-control, right? But the book of Proverbs, it, it says this. It says, like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. The message paraphrase, so that's not really like a city with broken walls. We can't really relate to that. I love how the, the message paraphrase, um, it puts the, that verse in terms that are a little more contemporary for us. It says this, a person without self-control is like a house with its doors and windows knocked out. Now, I've never slept in a house that's had its doors and windows knocked out, but I, I have slept in the next closest thing. I've slept in a tent, okay? I've slept in a tent all by myself, in the woods, in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of grizzly bear country, miles and miles away from any roads or any people. I thought this was a great idea, a great way to get a, have a personal retreat. I brought my friend's four-wheeler and just go trucking off in the middle of the wilderness. Not such a good idea. And as I tried to get some sleep, I found myself overcome with two emotions. I was overcome with fear, especially as it got pitch black, and I heard crashing off in the forest. And the other emotion that I was overcome with was vulnerability. I'm thinking, if that crashing sound is a hungry grizzly bear walking through the woods, this flimsy little two-man tent is not going to do a world of good. On um, That tent was like a house with no doors, no windows, like a city with a wall broken down. Anything could just come crashing through, barging through, and eat me for dinner. It provided no protection, making me very vulnerable. And the Bible says that that's what it's like for the person with no self-control. They're vulnerable. And if you got sermon notes this morning, I just want to bring up three areas, three things that you're, you're vulnerable to when you lack self-control. The first thing um, a lack of self-control makes you vulnerable to is mood swings. Now, we all have mood swings, right? Okay, for some, the, the mood swings are gentle like this. For others, the mood swings are a little more extreme. They're, they're kind of like this. No nudging your spouse, okay? None of that. But regardless of whether or not the mood swings are gentle or extreme, we, we all have them. You don't feel like getting up early to read your Bible and pray. What you feel like doing, what you're in the mood for, is to grab a sledgehammer and smash that alarm clock to smithereens or to hit the snooze button a couple hundred times. Or you don't feel like studying for finals. Instead, you feel like spending the night on Snapchat. Or you don't feel like going for a walk or a jog, even though the doctor says you need to. So you don't feel like it, so you just don't do it. You're just kind of vulnerable to whatever kind of mood you're swinging with. Next, the lack of self-control makes you vulnerable to impulsiveness. This last week, uh, Becky and I got in a little, little fight, just argument little disagreement, and Thursday morning, I was ticked off, and I wanted to discuss the issue at that moment, which was the worst moment to be discussing this issue, as I'm getting ready to head off, uh, off to work. We just finished having some strawberry waffles to celebrate my daughter's birthday, and uh, <laughs> not the ideal time to be discussing an issue. I wanted to discuss it right there, though. Becky did not want to discuss it right there, and I, my temper, my impulsiveness got the better of me. And so as I'm walking out the door, I stop, and I said, okay, well, if you don't want to talk about it, then, then I might as well pack up and leave because I don't want to be at a roadblock for the rest of my life. Boom, slam the door, off I go. 
Hello, second grade rich. <laughs> Super mature, yes. Nice to see we're growing up and playing nice. But zero self-control. My temper got the better of me, and so I impulsively broke one of the cardinal rules that Becky and I have in our relationship, which is to never even discuss leaving. And, but in my little hissy fit, I, I did. And the Bible has much to say about those who are quick-tempered and are impulsive. Um, those who speak rashly, Proverbs says, will come to ruin. Whoever is patient has great understanding, but one who is quick-tempered displays folly. This last Thursday morning, I put on a great display of folly. Without self-control, you're vulnerable to your impulses. You'll cave to them even though you know that caving to them is foolishness. It's the wrong thing to do. When you lack self-control, it's like you're a tent with a grizzly bear lurking around. You, you'll cave to impulsiveness. You'll be impulsive with your temper. You'll be impulsive with your spending, impulsive with how you spend your time. You'll let everything distract you from doing the one thing that you know you should be doing the most because you're, just, you're impulsive. No self-control. Lastly, lack of self-control makes you vulnerable to temptation. When you lack self-control, you'll click on that website even though you know you shouldn't click on it. Or when the other driver cuts you off in traffic, you will be quick to mutter something really nasty and angry underneath your breath. You'll be tempted to gossip or to lie or to end up craving because, or, or caving um, into that because it just seems like the easiest thing to do. You lack self-control and it makes you very vulnerable to temptation. And Proverbs says this, it says, The evil deeds of the wicked ensnare them. The cords of their sins hold them fast. For lack of discipline or self-control, we could say, they will die led astray by their own great folly. And when things like impulsiveness, when things like mood swings and temptation, when they come breaking through your walls, what ends up happening is they, they wreak havoc on your life. They really do wreak havoc on your life. I'd actually, before that meeting with Mike, had, I mean, uh, self-discipline issues plagued me, like I said, my whole life. But it wasn't until up to that moment where I really realized for the first time, okay, this is an issue that is going to, it's going to bring destruction. It's going to wreak havoc on my life. For starters, I'm losing this dream position because of a lack of self-control. And then I started to see very quickly how, okay, if I don't do this lack of self-control here has led to this, or this area here has led to this, and Lack of self-control, it, it just, it wreaks havoc on your life. Self-control is this. It's having command over your desires, emotions, and behavior. Um, lack of self-control is just the opposite. It's, it's, you've got little control over yourself, little or no control over what you do. Self-control is having command over your desires, emotions, and behavior. Those things, they just don't command you. Instead, you command them. Your desires and your emotions aren't in control, you are. And your behavior doesn't just run rampant, you control it. That's, that's self-control. And I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but I've noticed this in my own life, that when it comes to self-control, I think we all have just a little bit of, of self-righteousness when it comes to, to self-control. And here's what I mean. We look at the areas that we have self-control in or discipline and are quick to judge others who don't have the same level of self-control or discipline in those same areas. For example, I can go weeks without cleaning my car or truck. The mess stares at me every day, but I'd rather, I can just think of a thousand different things that I'd rather be doing in my spare time than getting out there and scrubbing the car or scrubbing the truck 
And, and so it, it looks at me every day. It haunts me. I kind of feel bad. I'm like, I should be cleaning this thing, but I put it off and put it off and put it off and put it off and put it off. But as soon as I do get around to cleaning the vehicle, I'm looking down my nose at everyone else who has a dirty vehicle thinking, man, what a bunch of slobs these people are. Just a little bit of self-righteousness. Or, or you can miss church four, five, six weeks in a row. You'd rather sleep in or it's September, football season is there and, and it's just started. But then you do start showing up and, and you make a few weeks in a row and, and before you know it, you're looking around going, where's Fred at? what's with these people never come to church and I'm here all the time? I mean, come on, it's Memorial Day weekend, and here I am at church where so-and-so. We all get this, we see this area that we're, we're good in, we got self-control in or discipline in, and we can kind of think that, okay, we've got it all together. Keep your, your, your yard spotless, and next thing you know, is you're looking over the fence at your neighbor's long grass going, what's with this guy? And it's this, this, this area that we just think, okay, I've got it together, other people don't. But here's the deal. When it comes to self-control, none of us, none of us is perfect. Um, none of us has mastered it. The guy who keeps his yard in immaculate con condition, um, he can't carve out 15 minutes to be with his wife on a regular basis. Caves to sports every time. The guy who regularly dates his wife couldn't say no to a bucket of fried chicken if his life depended on it. Um, the lady who works out religiously, um, she procrastinates when it comes to reading her Bible. Um, until she decides, she just puts it off another day. No self-control. All of us, I don't care how disciplined, self-controlled you might think you are, lack self-control in some essential areas of our lives. We all have room to grow. And we should all want to go because at the end of the day, when it comes to self-control, it's not really about fried chicken. It's not really about having nice grass or well-groomed facial hair. It's about being able to follow Jesus and live the life that he's called us to live. Because Jesus put it like this. He said in Luke 9.23, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, self-control, must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Jesus said this is an essential requirement. If you want to follow me, you will have to deny your some places in the Bible calls it the flesh, your, your, your fleshly desires. You're going to have to deny those. You're going to have to have some self-control, Jesus says. This is critical if you want to be a follower of me. We all have this thing called self that often wants to get in the way of us living rightly, doing the right thing that Jesus is calling us to do. And in order to win that battle with self, you have to be able to control self. And so, how do we build self-control into our lives? How do we do that? I got four things this morning. Um, and the first thing is this. It's knowing the difference between a desire that needs to be denied and one that needs to be contained. Your desire to lie to your boss or to the IRS is a desire that just flat out needs to be denied. The self-control just looks like, okay, I, I need to deny that. Same with your desire to have an affair to cheat on your, your test. Those are sin issues. Uh, those are areas that we just need to deny. But there are other desires where self-control doesn't require that we, it be flat out denied, but rather that, that it, those desires be contained. The desires are good. You just need to set up some boundaries around them. A 
classic example in Scripture is found in 1 Corinthians. It says this in 1 Corinthians 7, 8, 9. It says, To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. This is the Apostle Paul writing. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. So just going out and, and, and sleeping with whoever you want, that's a desire that needs to be denied. But the desire to be fruitful and multiply, to get cozy with that someone that you love, that's a godly desire. A, 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 a good desire that needs to be contained with the boundaries of marriage. Because marriage, it, it's, it's protected by the, the bonds of commitment and fidelity. Outside, it's not. Now, does that mean that a 14-year-old who's just got all kinds of lustful passions needs to just go out and get married? Obviously not. But knowing that in the future, God has a spouse for them, and there's some boundaries for that, can certainly help with self-control. But the point is this. If you can't manage your desires and emotions, you need to do something about it. Um, do whatever it's going to take to ensure there's going to be protection. Um, you know, the, the whole entire first part of Proverbs, it's, it's about this um, it's Solomon who, who's writing this, and it's wisdom to his, his, son, his sons, and it's wisdom to avoid being led astray by this, uh, an adulterous woman. And Solomon's advice isn't to just avoid temptation. Solomon's advice is, okay, you need to actually enjoy those things, but here, enjoy them in the, the bonds of, of marriage. Your desire to rest, rest and relax, that's a good desire, but contain it. Um, have, a, have a day off. Um, your desire to eat is a good thing, but put some boundaries around it. Know what's good for you and what's, what's not. Another way to build self-control into your life is to get a vision for your life and don't lose sight of it. Get a vision for your life and don't lose sight of it. You may have heard the story about the, the middle school boy um, who never combed his hair, never brushed his teeth, um, he just was the general all-around slob when it came time for school. And no matter how much his mom asked himself to clean up, he was just a complete mess. But that all changed the day when he hit eighth grade, and for the first time, he noticed a cute girl smiling at him from across the room. The next day, his mom was totally shocked when she saw him in the morning. His hair was nicely combed, teeth were brushed, and he was just styling, ready for school. All of a sudden, this guy had a vision. He caught a glimpse of this girl, and, and he, it gave him the ability to exert some self-control in some areas where he was not very good at exerting some self-control. And the Apostle Paul in Scripture, he talks about the importance of having a vision for your life and how important that is in being able to have self-control, discipline in some areas that you normally wouldn't be able to have it in. He says this, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. And by the way, this issue of self-control, we honestly don't talk about it a whole lot in church, but it is everywhere in the Bible. Paul talks about this over and over and over again, how important it is. But he says every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it not just because it's fun to do or because it's good to do or because it just they're, someone's telling them they should do it. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. So they got a prize in mind. We're getting all geared up for, for the Olympics coming up here in, in the summer, if, if they end up going through. Like, it happens every time before the Olympics. Is it just me, or do they always make it out like the Olympics aren't going to happen because of some virus? But anyways, the Olympics are coming up, 
and they're all, all these athletes are just, they're working, they're, they're, they're doing all these things necessary to get a perishable, well, it's not a wreath anymore, it's now a medal, but they've got a prize in mind. Then Paul goes on to say, but we have an, we, we an imperishable, so we're after something that's imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly, I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. An athlete has a vision, they want to win, they want the prize, and they know that in order to get that prize, they'll have to exert some incredible self-control. They'll discipline themselves to work out five or six days a week. Um, if, you, if you were to do some research on Olympic athletes, you'll find that they don't start training the year before. They actually start training about eight years before. And they have a plan, uh, like a, a four, five, six, seven, eight-year plan, not just like a plan for the next month. They've got a plan that's like way down the road. And then an athlete doesn't just have to discipline themselves to work out, to eat right, but athletes also have to show incredible discipline when it comes to sleep. Olympic athletes in training will, will need about 10 hours of sleep every night, and then they'll need about a 90-minute nap some point during the day. So while the rest of their friends are off goofing off at night and playing, they're going, okay, no, I'm going to have some self-control, and I'm, I need to get a good, solid 10 hours of sleep. That's, that's a lot of self-control. And they are only able to do that because they have a vision their life. They know what it is that they're after. If they're only doing that because their dad or mom are saying, hey, you need to get lots of sleep, they're not going to be able to do that for long, but they've got this vision. They want to they get to the Olympics, and they want to get that prize. And for the Apostle Paul, his faith is like that. He has a vision of receiving the crown of life one day, and it gives him the ability to disciple his body or dis discipline his body and keep it under control. He has this vision of preaching the gospel and people's lives being changed and impacted. And because of that, he's able to exert self-control. Self-control becomes possible when you have a vision and you stay focused in on it. It doesn't matter, I mean, it doesn't matter what the area of self-control is. For the students struggling in school, you got a student struggling, struggling in school, give them a vision of the opportunities that good grades will provide them one day. Um, do you lack self-control when it comes to your devotional life? You know, maybe you have a hard time getting into your, the Bible and you just can't seem to get set aside a time to pray. Get a vision of what it will look like if you were to do that on a consistent basis. I mean, being close to Jesus, being able to hear Jesus regularly, having a rock to stand on, doesn't matter what kind of storms you're going through in life, you just know Jesus so well, and you're so close and so tight with Jesus that you're experiencing joy and peace despite what's going on in your life. And you get a vision for your life, and, and you'll be able to do those things that you don't have self-control in. Then next is this. In the areas that you can't master on your own, surround yourself with a team. Surround yourself with a team. And I would say that when it comes to self-control, these last two points that we got this morning are probably the most important. So often, we try to win the battle for self-control on our own. You know, the guy who can't control himself when it comes to, to websites, clicking on websites, just thinks, okay, I just got to muscle this out on my own. I got to make it happen. They never, never bring someone else in on that fight, that battle. The person who can't control themselves enough to get in a daily rhythm of reading scripture, you know, they just keep trying and then they fail. 
They try and then they fail, all on their own. And if you lack the ability, the self-control to do what you need to do or you want to do, get help outside of yourself. You don't have to try to do this all on your own. You know, a person that's struggling with, with, with a diet or an exercise program, wh what do they do? They get a trainer or they get a partner to come alongside them and say, hey, let's try to do this. Let's try to make this happen together. You, you bring someone else in, you get a team. A person that has no control with their finances. What do you do? You, you can either keep trying to do that on your own, just trying and failing and trying and failing, or you can get some help. Maybe someone in your church family that, that's really good at budgets and financial planning, or, or if, if a financial planner is an option, you, you go that route. A person who lacks self-control in their faith. What do you do? You surround yourself with a church community. It's one of the reasons why you've got a church family. It's, it's to help you to do these things that you can't do on your own. On um, people who, who, who will read the Bible with them, people who pray with them, encourage them. Scripture has got a great picture of, of just the value and the importance of bringing a team around you when you lack self-control. Listen to what, this is the Apostle Paul again. He's, he's speaking to um, this guy named Titus. Titus was a, a young church leader, and, and, and the Apostle Paul, he knows, okay, this, this, this church this young church that Titus is leading, they're going to have, self-control is going to be an area that they can't conquer on their own. And so Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he writes this. He says in Titus 2, teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of, se of respect, self-controlled. So Titus, teach the, the older men self-control. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children to be self-controlled. So you can't teach something unless you've got it. So they're self-controlled, and then they can teach self-controlled. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. It's this word self-control that's, that's mentioned over and over again, and it's this picture of the older men teaching the younger men, the, the older women teaching the younger women. Everybody's in on this. It's a team. We're all working on self-control together. And, and if you lack self-control in an area, listen, bring somebody in on that. I have just recently discovered the value of this when it comes to reading my Bible because, you know, you might have this picture of pastors where your, your picture is you see me every day of the week up from 4 o'clock to 7 o'clock in the morning on my face praying and just digging into the Bible. Uh-uh. That is not how it works. <laughs> okay, maybe for some people it does, but not for me. I have just as many disciplined self-control issues when it comes to reading my Bible as you do. I promise you that. And I have just recently discovered the value of why not bring other people in on that? Why not? Why, why not make it something where if you're married, you go, you, you get with your spouse, and you say, hey, why don't we take a few minutes before bed or in the morning to pray? I love reading my Bible and praying in the morning, but um, Becky, not so much. I've been doing it uh, a little bit lately with my kids before school. We'll, we'll crack open the Bible and, and read it or pray together. Um, why not bring other people in on that? You don't have to do it alone. We have this picture of Christianity in, in North America, where it's just this solo act, it doesn't have to be like that. Bring people in on it. 
And then lastly this morning, if you want to build self-control into your life, understand that self-control isn't a battle to be won as much as a gift to be received. So often, when it comes to self-control, what's the picture that we get? We, we get this picture of someone just trying really, really, really hard to be disciplined. We get this picture of someone that's just like, oh, they're muscling it out and they're just, they're, they're, they're making it happen. Someone like an Olympic athlete, someone who's maybe just born with these incredible levels of, of discipline, self-control. But, but we try, don't we? Um, we try to get command of those desires and emotions, but then we experience failure after failure, and before we know it, we, we find ourselves just throwing our hands up in discouragement. I mean, come on, we've all been there, haven't we? Whether it's reading your Bible, whether it's, whether it's praying, whether it's maybe an exercise routine, trying to live healthy, whatever it might be, we try and we fail, we try and we fail, we try and we fail, and before we know it, we're just like, we're just, we're just discouraged. And for all of us in this room this morning, discouraged by our lack of self-control, there's this verse in the Bible that I found for me in my battle with self-control offers tremendous, tremendous hope. And you may have heard it before. It goes like this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's a fruit. It's a fruit. It's it's not something that I've got to muscle out on my own strength. It's not something where I just, it's always about me digging deep down here and finding some way to be self-controlled. It's a fruit. And as I stay close to Jesus, as I abide in him, his his spirit will give me self-control. He'll cause it to grow in my life like fruit on a tree. The Bible says it's a fruit, the fruit of the spirit is self-control. What I've got to do is I've got to walk with him. I've got to stay close to him. I've got to abide in him. The Bible says, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walk by the spirit. Walk with him. Why won't you gratify them? You'll have self-control, self-control that comes from walking with Jesus. I, you know, when, um, when this guy, Mike, uh, sat down with me uh, several years ago, I'll never forget the conversation. You know, on one hand, it was, it was a gift. On the other hand, it was, it was, I walked away very discouraged because at one point, he goes, you know what, Rich? I got to tell you. And he said this with love. He had, I mean, the guy had tears in his eyes. But at one point, he goes, Rich, I got to tell you, I don't think anybody can change if they're lacking discipline. And he really meant it. He, he, and he, he said, Rich, I've, I've never seen it. Have you seen it? And I stopped for a second. I'm like, actually, I don't think I have seen it. And at that moment, it was just, it was so discouraging because, I mean, I wasn't just seeing my lack of discipline that weekend. I actually, in that moment, was seeing my lack of discipline my whole life. I mean, I was flashing back to college and all the, I mean, all the times I would sleep in through class and all the times where I'd come back from a youth conference as a teenager and I'd want to get into my Bible the next day and then I would just give up in two days. I'd completely flop. And I was going, I was just discouraged. Because uh, I was seeing how my lack of self-control was just devastating and wreaking havoc on my life. But then hearing that, man, I don't think anybody can change. But then I'll never forget God coming along and showing me this verse that I'd heard a thousand times having grown up in the church. 
the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. If you don't have it, get close to Jesus, confess that you lack it, and get close to him, and it's the fruit that it will begin to grow in your life. It'll grow in your life. And there's this other spot where Scripture says this. It says, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and what? Self-control. It's a gift. And for a guy like me, this is really good news. And there, there are people who, they're just really good at self-control, can muscle their way to it. But, but that's different than the kind of self-control that we're after this morning. That kind of self-control where you just make it happen, that's, that, that's worldly self-control. But we're after godly self-control. And, and you want to know the difference between worldly self-control and godly self-control? The difference between the two is who gets the glory in the end. The worldly kind, man gets the glory. So it's the Olympic athlete who just conquers, who just goes out there, who just muscles through every morning and just they're grueling, grinding, exercise regimens and their, their, their diets and all that. And at the end of the day, as they stand up on that podium, we look at them, we go, wow, that's just amazing, that's awesome. And, and, and they just, they get, they get the glory. But the godly kind of control it's Jesus who gets the glory. The follower of Jesus doesn't become self-controlled by their own strength, but by working according to God's strength, working hand-in-hand hand with God. And at the end of the day, you go, okay, no, this is, this is Jesus. This is Jesus. And there's the part that I play, but there's the even bigger part that God plays. I was talking with Papa John before the service today and just told him that I'm talking about self-control this morning. He goes, yeah, it's kind of an oxymoron, isn't it? And it really is. When you stop and you, you look at it and you go, you got self-control that, it, I mean, the, the, the word self-control. We're saying that we control ourselves, but now we're saying, no, it's not about us as much as it's about the, the fruit of the Spirit growing in my life. It's a bit of the oxy, um, oxymoron. There's a part that I play, but there's the even bigger part that God plays. And the Apostle Paul, he describes how this looks in his life. When he says it like this, he says, and this is in Colossians 1.29, it's not on the screen, but it sa he says this, to this end, I, I strenuously contend, so it's like this picture of him just like, he's, he's straining towards the prize, he goes, to this end, I strenu strenuously contend, then he goes on to say, with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Interesting picture, isn't it? But that's exactly what it looks like when it comes to self-control. I strenuously contend with all the energy that Christ so powerfully works in me. It means we recognize, okay, we cannot do it on our own. We can't be self-controlled. We can't say yes to the things we need to say yes to and no to the things we need to say no to. We can't do that on our own strength. We need Christ in us. We need Christ in us. So I want to ask you this morning, where's the area that you need more self-control in? And I'm pretty sure that when you hear that question this morning, you got a list. If you're anything like me, you got a list. You go, man, I could have self-control here, 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 and then on and on it goes. So let's just narrow it down to one thing this morning. What is the one area of your life that if you had self-control in, would make the biggest difference in your walk with Jesus? What's the one area? 
what, what is that one thing? If you could just have self-control in this area, five years down the road, it would have the biggest impact. What is that one thing for you? Maybe it's devotional life. Maybe it's regularly investing in relationships. Um, I, I don't know what it is, but what is that one thing? And then my question, next question is, what do you need to do to get there? What do you need to do? Do you need to begin to just have a vision? Maybe you're just trying to do this because you think it's the right thing to do, but maybe what you need to do is just get a vision for how life will look differently if you begin to live that thing out and do that thing. Maybe it's get a vision. Maybe what you need to do is you need to just stop trying to do it on your own. Just accept that, okay, I'm frail, and I just can't do it on my own. And, and get a team. Get people around you. Bring someone else in on that area that you lack self-control in, in and have them walk alongside of you in that area. Not just hold you accountable, but actually walk alongside of you. And, and then maybe the last thing you need to do is just stop relying on yourself. You just need to come before Jesus and say, I need your help. I cannot change this. I've tried, and I can't. I need your help. And then with God's help, with his power that is readily available, begin to do that. Begin to do what you need to do to exert self-control in that area. And then watch as God begins to work, to move in your life in ways you never expected he could. Would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, I'm so glad, so thankful for Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Lord, all nine of these fruit, Lord, if I look at my life and just spend some time in honest reflection, I go, okay, I lack. I just am so thankful, Lord, that you don't say, okay, here's the, here's, here's the fruit, uh, or here's, here's the, the characteristics, the traits, the virtues that you need to have in your life. Now go out and try to make them happen. Just try really hard. No, you say, here's th this is the fruit of the Spirit. What I want you to do is walk with me, abide in me like a, a branch connected to a vine. And so, Jesus, I want to pray that you would help all of us in this room to just be so reliant on you. Lord, I pray that all of us would, would, would be people of self-control in, in the areas where, where it's just crucial to our faith. Jesus, I pray that we'd be people of self-control, and not because of, of us as much as because of your spirit at work in us. And so, Lord, I also want to pray that any, for anybody here this morning, when they heard self-control, discipline, it just automatically, just discouragement sets in, just reminder of how they, they have not done the things that they wanted to do. I pray, Jesus, that they would have hope this morning, that, Jesus, you would encourage them with your word that, that says, yes, this is a fruit, which means, yes, it can be something that grows in your life. I pray, Jesus, that you would just give them faith this morning to be able to walk out of here and just um, believe that you're going to work this area and cause this area to just grow in their life. Give them faith, I pray. And, Lord, I, I ask that you would help us um, to just be people with a vision for our lives. Lord, may we be like the Apostle Paul who just had a vision of, of what it is that his life was about, knew his purpose, knew his calling. He knew who he was in you, and he was, because of that, he was able to, um, in your strength, have self-control. Give us a vision for our lives, I pray. And uh, let this just grow in us, in Jesus' name. And Lord, I just want to ask that you bless all of us, Lord, for for those that are able to just enjoy the long weekend, maybe have tomorrow off, we just pray for rest and relaxation. God, today may just be a time of just having our soul and our spirit restored in you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.